0: We've been in a series called Covenant and Kingdom for the last three weeks, and trying to look through the scriptures, through different parts of the scriptures, and see if this theme comes up of covenant and kingdom, or relationship and responsibility. And last week, I, I shared, a, you know, an awkward story of you know my wife bugging me about not filling up the um, changing the toilet paper, and all you guys laughed at my expense. At my expense, you laughed, right? That's that's what happened. And so, um, what, what we discern from that is sometimes. When things like that, funny things like that happen, it's a, it, we said it last week, and it was hard to get that even out of our minds just for a couple of minutes, is, is when someone says, you're ready for relationship, but you're not ready for responsibility. And we looked at that thought last week through the life of Joseph. I want to flip that for a second, where sometimes the reverse is equally dangerous, where we say, I'm ready for responsibility, but I don't want relationship. And we've seen this happen in our lives uh, in different ways. We've We've seen it at work. We've seen it at home. We've seen it in the church where sometimes responsibility is desired like a platform or maybe desired like this looks good if I have this responsibility or this relationship will make me look good or give me some kind of status. But responsibility without relationship can also be dangerous. Maybe you've worked um with a manager that has the title but commands little respect because they don't have a relationship or pursue a relationship in a healthy way in their workplace maybe you've seen uh, someone uh, desire the blessing of relationship like maybe you know someone wanting um a relationship with someone and once they have this kind of you know this status desire the gifts or the attention which is oh, I want to look like I'm in, I'm in this relationship, but I don't really want the relationship. I want the platform. I want the status. Maybe a ministry leader who, who you know, uh, is leading in ministry and stands behind a title but lacks calling. That's responsibility without relationship. As we've been walking through this biblical story, what I want to get at today is First, week one, we talked about covenant relationship. Week two, we talked about kingdom responsibility. Today, I want to bring those two together, uh, relationship and responsibility. And as we've been, we've been walking through it, we've, we've called it covenant relationship and kingdom responsibility. Covenant relationship where God uh, invites us into relationship with him, and he's committed to that relationship. And we saw that through the story of Abraham. And then kingdom responsibility is where God doesn't just invite us into relationship, but he gives us responsibility. He wants to use us to make an impact in the world. And this comes out of this idea of kingdom, because God is king, and he reigns and rules, and, and the, the values of his kingdom and the vision of his kingdom invites us to be participants in that. And last week, we looked at the story of Joseph and how God gave him kingdom responsibility to make a difference, both in Egypt, in his time period, and in Israel. And today we want to bring those two together in another figure in the Bible, and it's the, it's the person called Moses. And in Moses' life, we want to, we're going to notice how relationship and responsibility come together, these two themes in the scriptures, and how covenant and kingdom is realized in this person's life Um, and how that works together. And so we're going to read a portion of Scripture, but before we do, here are these two lines I want to just get across and we'll think about. It's this, Moses lived in covenant relationship with God. Moses lived out kingdom responsibility for God. So Moses lived in covenant relationship with God. Moses lived out kingdom responsibility for God. We're going to jump into a slice of his life in Exodus chapter 3 you got your bibles you can turn to it if you don't don't worry about it we're going to have it on the screen as well and you can follow along and we're going to read a decent chunk of this chapter to give us a sense of of, um, of how we see these two themes in Moses' life let's read from verse one chapter three now moses was tending the flock of jethro his father-in-law the priest of midian and he had led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to horeb the mountain of god Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery on my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and the name you shall call me from generation to generation Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt and into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders that are go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. Let's just pause a moment and pray. God, thank you that we can come here together and we can open up your story We can open up the scriptures together. We can pause and listen for your voice through this. Thank you, God, that we're here and we've come and worshiped together and celebrated. Or maybe some have come exploring to discover who you are. God, we just pray that in these next few moments um, you would intersect our hearts and our lives. We know that you long to because we know you love us and you have already reached out to us May we see um, your hand at work and respond in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're with us the last couple of weeks, we walked through the story of Abraham, and that's how God reaches into history to start restoring the brokenness and sin post-creation in the Genesis story. And then we looked at Joseph, this figure in the scriptures, one of Abraham's grandchildren. So Abraham had a son named Isaac, and then Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and his 11th son Joseph was used by God to preserve this initial family of 12 brothers that would then become the nation of Israel. But here in Exodus 3, I mean, Israel's already a lot of people. This is generations later, and it's no longer a family of 12 brothers that we encountered in Joseph, and it's no longer just the inception that we encountered in Abraham. But now, over several generations, uh, the Israelites have grown to become a significant, sizable group of people. And they've been under Egypt's rule and this new king, this Pharaoh that is very different from the king and Pharaoh of the days of Joseph does not favor Israel and does not care for them and does not respect or have any um, you know, interest in their God. And so they, he has no sympathy for Israel and Israel becomes slaves under Egypt's rule. They become oppressed people. And it gets so bad that there's a a decree from the Pharaoh that every young Hebrew boy should be killed. And this is the era that Moses is born into. His mother is so scared that she secretly gives him away. And he's miraculously adopted by Pharaoh's own daughter and grows up in Pharaoh's courts, in the courts of Egypt. I guess if you saw the movie, The Prince of Egypt, maybe you know where I'm headed and many of you have read this story and know this story in the scriptures. But Moses is born into this difficult period. And as he grows up in Pharaoh's courts, he's not completely distant from his people. He's not completely unaware. He knows he is has Hebrew heritage. He knows that he is part of this people group and he knows and feels their oppression. And about the age of forty, he just cracks one day. And he kills an Egyptian. And he buries him, but people find out. And Pharaoh's furious, and he's a wanted man, and he escapes into the desert. He ends up staying in the desert for 40 years, And it's here in chapter 3 where we pick up with Moses here now, 40 years into the desert. He's probably about an 80-year-old man at the time and has a family and has been in the desert as a shepherd for years. And here's this ordinary day for, for Moses. Ordinary day, just kind of, you know, taking care of his sheep on the backside of Mount Horeb and, you know, kicking dust through his sandals and doing what he does as a shepherd and probably just a normal, ordinary day. And then he sees this bush Really no big deal in a desert. Even a burning bush is not that big of a deal in a desert because the dry heat and the constant rays of the sun, sometimes a bush would light up in flames and then just kind of light up and go. But this bush didn't stop burning. So Moses was curious. And we discover in the story, it's not an ordinary fire. It says, the angel of the Lord was in the flames. It's kind of cool. God's voice, God speaks to Moses through this bush. God calls out to Moses. And in this conversation that he has with Moses, something beautiful happens. Moses is reminded of his covenant relationship with God. I mean, like, years ago in Egypt, he feels a little bit one with his people, but he runs off into the desert after what happens, probably feeling like a failure, probably feeling very... Uh, disappointed, discouraged, wondering, "I'm what am? What have I been? What am I doing now?" Forty years into the desert, completely disconnected now from his people, and here's God. He comes and he speaks to him, and he reminds Moses of the relationship that he has with him, and covenant relationship resurfaces in the story in verse five or verse six. This is what God says he says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so here is, as Moses hears these words, God's reminding him that he's not alone, that he's not left alone, that God is still pursuing him, that God still thinks about him, that God still cares for him, that God is still committed to this relationship, this covenant relationship he started generations ago with Abraham. And so covenant relationship resurfaces in this biblical story again. And it's not just about Moses, but God cares about all the Israelites. Look what God says later on in the next few verses as he he talks about uh, Israel. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. That's what God says. He says, I still think about them. I love them. I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. I'm concerned about their suffering. I've come down to rescue them. Here's this moment where, and probably Israel thinking about, like, God, where are you? Where have you been? And God is telling Moses, I've not forgotten. I'm still committed to this relationship. These are my people. And so here in this part of this conversation, Moses is reminded of this covenant relationship where God invests in us and gives us his identity and shares with us. But something else is also happening because Israel needs rescuing. Israel is oppressed. Israel is hurting. Israel is crying out. And so in verse 10, after we read this, in verse 10, uh, God, God tells Moses, so here's the thing, so I'm gonna send you I'm gonna send you. He says, Go. Go now. I'm sending you. Right in the middle of this. Here's Moses being reminded of God's covenant relationship, and then here's God. He he gives them he gives them a kingdom responsibility. He says, I have something for you to do. I have something that I want to give you. I, I want to use you to rescue my people. I'm in relationship with you and with my people and we're gonna rescue them and Moses, I'm gonna use you. So go now, I'm sending you. So God has this responsibility for Moses. He's gonna use Moses to free Israel from the hands of Egypt. This story becomes one of the most pivotal stories in all of scriptures. In fact, even the New Testament somehow lives out this new kind of exodus of freedom from bondage and freedom from oppression and freedom from spiritual oppression. Moses is called into kingdom responsibility. If we read the rest of the story, Moses and God, in a sense, they partner up. God uses Moses. They work together. Moses will one day stand before Pharaoh and call out the injustice and call out the oppression and call out all the horrible things that are going on. God's gonna perform some crazy miracles to, to get Moses to relent and to give up his hold on Israel and Moses will lead Israel out of Egypt. They get out. We, we know that part of the story. There's twists and turns that happen, but it happens. And if Israel is eventually rescued. And God uses Moses in a kingdom responsibility type of way. And here's these two themes coming up in Moses' life. Covenant relationship, kingdom responsibility. God is still committed to this relationship, and God still wants to use people, his people, to bring freedom to the world and joy to the world. And specifically in this situation, to Israel. And I want to unpack what this looks like. What's, what's the flow from relationship to responsibility? What's the dynamic with covenant relationship and kingdom responsibility? How does God want to use us? So we're going to look at how God used Moses and how this relationship looks. And it's, I think it's so important for us to grasp there's, I want to put a triangle up on the, on the screen, and, and Mike Breen, the author of the book Covenant Kingdom, uh, has, has described it this way, and I think it's helpful for us. And if you just kind of look at this triangle for a moment, I want to walk through the, the flow from relationship to responsibility, or from relationship to living out the kind of life that God has in store for us, and what that looks like in Moses. The, fir- the first uh, thing on the top is Father is to recognize that when, when God called out to Moses, when God reminded Moses that they're still in relationship, God was, was telling him, hey, listen, I am your father. We are in relationship with one another. And when we consider our relationship with God, it doesn't start with, I gotta obey God. It doesn't start with, how's God gonna change me? It starts with God reaching out to us and saying, I wanna be in relationship with you. And that's how it starts with Moses. Even in this reaffirmation, God comes to him and says, hey, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm your father. This sense of family, this idea of family is is part and parcel about what it means to be part of God's family. And so we have this initial part of relationship relationship as God is our father. But then it goes to this next section. It's the section of identity. And we looked at this through Abraham. God gave Abraham and Sarah his identity. They shared God's identity. They had this new identity in life, this new sense of I know who I am. I know what I'm called to be. I know that I have this committed relationship with the God of the universe. And, and this new identity that, that Abraham and Sarah had and then others that followed them, God always wanted to instill his identity in us. And identity makes sure that Moses understands his own identity. See, Moses is living 40 whole years probably thinking of that failure 40 years earlier. When Moses hides his, faith, his face from God, in this holy moment where, where, where God says, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. Moses hides his face. Obviously, it's a holy moment, but there's probably also other things going on in here. It's like, God, I failed 40 years ago. God, what I did to that Egyptian. God, why did I erupt like that? God, I mean, what are you even talking to me for? It's 40 years. You, why? And God reaches out to Moses and says, Moses, Your identity is not in your failure. Your identity is not in what happened 40 years ago. Your identity is is in me. And God instills this sense of identity. And then he tells Moses, You're not alone, I will be with you. You're not on your own. This is not, you're not going to be isolated. And his identity gets shaped up again and firmed up into this covenant relationship with God. Not just his past not just his experience, not just even that ordinary day with his feet kicking the sand as a shepherd. There's this sense of identity, and that's what God wants to do in us. In our, the flow of relationship towards responsibility always needs to go this way, from father, a father relationship with God to this sense of identity. But then God calls Moses. He says, now Moses, you go. I'm sending you to go before Pharaoh. So God calls Moses. He sends Moses. He assures Moses. He says I will be with you. And it takes Moses a while to like agree. It ta- if we keep reading the story. There's hiccups along the way. He, he, he's, he's not confident about his own capacity. His own gifts. He says I can't really speak well. Why do you want to use me? God brings in his brother Aaron. There's a whole bunch of things in the storyline. But God does use Moses. And Moses does say yes. Moses obeys. And obedience isn't merely a duty. It flows out of relationship. And so here's this, this is, this is the sense here. But here's, so we get father identity and Moses comes to this point of obedience. And I want to just explain the flow here for a second because too often what happens is is someone comes to understand who God is and they read the scriptures and then they, somebody tells them you got to do this, this, and this, and this to be a follower of Jesus. Live exactly this way and then you're right with God. But the flow never goes from father to obedience. The flow always goes from father to identity to obedience. When when we just move to obedience right away, then we fall into a religious rut. We fall into a straitjacket type of living. We fall into an area where we always feel like we're falling short. But here, Moses, God affirms this relationship affirms his identity, and then says, Moses, you go. And so now Moses is living out, he's obeying God, but he's not just obeying God as a sense of a directive, even though he, he could and he would, and Jesus, we say Jesus is our Lord, we want to follow him. But he obeys God, and, and here's the direction, from father to identity to obedience. When we move just to obedience, that's that sense of function without responsibility. Without relationship, function without relationship, responsibility without relationship. But responsibility without relationship is very dangerous. It's dangerous in work relationships, it's dangerous in marriage, it's dangerous in your faith. God wants us to live out relationship and identity, and then obedience becomes the overflow of this. Just pause for a second, think about this. Later on, when Israel's out of Egypt and they need to really be a nation on their own, God gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the law. And when you look through the law, it's, you look through the Ten Commandments, you see about half of it is how they relate to God and about half of it is how they relate to each other. How, how will they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and how will they love their neighbor and each other? And, and, and it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, the Ten Commandments, because it, it gives them a framework on how to be a people and how to be God's people. It, it, it gives them uh, some boundaries and frameworks that fuel their relationship with God and fuel their relationship with each other. And it nurtured Israel's love for God and Israel's love for neighbor. But what went on over centuries and centuries and centuries is that that law became not just a framework, it became like a prison or a straitjacket. And so, where initially it was, this is how you can live, this is how you can grow in love with me, your heavenly father, and with others, your neighbor, then it turned into a whole bunch of other added rules and regulations. And this beautiful thing that became a framework for Israel, eventually they turned it into a straitjacket. And they went from father to obedience, they lost identity. And that can happen in so many different ways. It can happen in a marriage where you serve out of responsibility, not out of relationship. And then you're not serving out of a shared identity. It can happen in so many other ways, but it happens in our faith. We must move from father to identity to obedience. But here's another way that I want to look at the triangle. So if we start with a fresh triangle and we start from scratch and we say, well, what about this whole kingdom responsibility thing? God is not only father, God is also king. He's, he is the holy one in the relationship. He is still the greater entity in, in a relationship between God and humanity. And so God is king. And even when he approaches Moses, there's still the sense of holy ground. God is still above and beyond Moses in this relationship. But Moses is under the king's rule in a loving way, but he's saying, God, God is king. And this king has an assignment for him. And this king says, go, I'm sending you now to Pharaoh. So he calls him and he sends him and he gives him this authority. He promises, I will be with you and don't worry, I will act on your behalf. I will be with you and I will be present and I will demonstrate my power. So, so God is king and God is giving him authority. And then when Moses stands before Pharaoh, God's power is at work. God's power is at work. When, when Moses stands before Pharaoh's throne and speaks to him, if you could imagine the Egyptian world and the Egyptian mind frame, probably all the pantheon of gods of Egypt were behind Pharaoh. I mean, in imagery, right? And here's Moses standing and looking at Pharaoh. And as he looks at Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's standing there, all behind Pharaoh is this pantheon of gods, the gods that the Egyptians serve. And here's little Moses, just kind of like, this is a big deal. But he stands in God's authority, with God's power, in front of Pharaoh, standing against the injustices, Against the false gods, against the oppression. And God comes in in certain intervals and shows his power. See, Moses was entrusted with authority from the king, and then God acted in power but it's so vital that we catch this flow again. Just like it's father uh, identity and obedience, it's king, authority, and power. See, too often we go from king to power. Like that was Moses at 40. He was so frustrated. He knew that his people were hurting. He just took it in his own hands. He exerted his own power. He kills an Egyptian. He buries him. He, He runs. He didn't have a plan. He didn't, have, he didn't know what he was going to do next. He just kind of, this was the younger Moses, and he just takes the king's business in his hands and he acts on his own strength and he messes things up. And the result is bad. When I was a, a teenager, I, used to, I worked landscaping jobs for about five or six summers and one job we had was, uh, there, was a, there was a park in St. Leonard, and the job was that the company had to build a hill, literally, like, you know, like a t- as big as a tobogganing hill type of hill, you know? A uh, Centennial Park type of hill. So the so the, the company I worked for built this huge hill, and it was just bulldozers came and, you know, built up this huge big hill, and then uh, when we came onto the job, we had to put the grass, so like roll out the grass, and so so rolls of sod or grass, we had to roll it out over the whole hill, and then after that, we had to water this huge hill. My brother worked with me. We worked together on this job and we worked for the same company for those summers. And so, how the heck are you gonna like water a hill? So we, we got like fire hoses, right? There was fire hoses along the streets and, you know, they got permission and so we got fire hoses and here we are, like these big hoses, you know, we're watering this hill and just making sure that all the water gets into the grass. Well, you know, it's fun to hold a powerful water hose in your hand. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if you ever held a fire hose, but they got a lot, a lot of power. And so we start to fool around with the fire hose and, and, um, and so we're, you know, trying to kind of get each other. So my brother was, You know, somewhere over there, and so I just kind of, you know, you turn the holes around. But it's so powerful. He runs. He he goes out of the way, and about ten feet behind him was this little uh, two door car. On it was on the grass, and the reason it was on the grass is because it was one of the inspectors from Saint Leonard that was on the grass, just inspecting the job. And and her, it was a she. Her window was open, and so we're just like, you know, and then she just gets drenched. Like her whole car inside, she's, oh my goodness, she steps out of the car, and she just tells our supervisor off, and what kind of people do you have here, and what are you doing, and now the other guys working from St. Leonard kind of came to us on the side and said, we're so glad you did that. She's just a horrible manager, but anyways. Um... (laughs) That's a title without relationship. That was, so two things happened there. We learned two things. We learned that she didn't have a great relationship with her employees. So she probably went from, oh, I got this, to power. Never went with authority or identity. Well, my brother and I with the hose. I mean, we just it was like when you just have power put in your hands and you don't have a framework and you're not aware of it, of all its strength, I mean, bad stuff can happen. <laughs> and... That's what can happen when we move from king to power. That's what happened to Moses at 40 years old. Move from king to power. Too often we exert power without authority, in our own authority, and we wonder why little happens or when worse, when bad things happen. We exert power without authority and there's collateral damage. Power without authority is weak or power without kingdom authority is dangerous because it becomes about us and not about God's purposes. You've all had te- we've all had teachers in high school. We knew the teachers that had good authority and teachers that had no authority. Both of them exerted power. But the teacher with, proper, with good authority and relationship had this amazing way with the students. The teacher who just had no authority but still exerted power had a horrible way with the students. You remember those teachers? You walk into classes like that All teachers have power but some teachers have authority and the way they use their authority is seen in how they use their power. What gives you authority? How can you gauge in your relationship with God in the responsibilities he wants to give you if you're just exerting power but not acting out with authority and identity? Well, some things are, you can discover it this way. Am I truly... In relationship with God, fueling my relationship with Him. Is what I'm doing coming out of my relationship, or is it just coming out of my own desire? Do I have a calling for this? Or am I just do I just want a title? Am I stewarding God's authority or do I feel entitled? See, there's a difference between entitled authority and entrusted authority. The authority that comes from the from God, our King, is entrusted authority. When we move to power and, and forget authority, we normally have what we think is entitled authority. And I think the last bit of this is humility. Is there humility in our understanding of authority? See, we, we see these two triangles lived out in Moses' life, and we're going to just wrap this up in a second. He lived in covenant relationship with God. He lived out kingdom responsibility for God. And he went from father to identity to obedience, from king to authority to power. And you know what? We saw Jesus do the same thing. Jesus lived this out in the most perfect way. He lived out his identity in the love of his father. And Jesus often said, I'm here to do the will of my father. Why? He was living out his identity, his relationship. When Jesus says, the father has sent me, and then in power, he stands against the evil and sickness and problems in our world. He is standing in power through the authority that is given to him. What if we would start seeing our relationship and responsibility in the same way, in the way that God wants it? And here's the important thing as we come to a close today. This just isn't for Moses. We might never be Moses or do what Moses did specifically, but this isn't just for Moses, it's for you and me. God has invited us into relationship. God wants to give us kingdom responsibility. In fact, there's one thing that, and we're gonna close with this. Look look what what Israel's called later on in Exodus chapter 19, verse six. This is what Israel's called. He says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kingdom responsibility, priests are representatives for people, for humanity to God. Here's relationship, kingdom and relationship working hand in hand. But then look what later the New Testament calls anybody who puts their trust in Jesus. This is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter tells the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Just as God said to Israel, you're going to become a kingdom of priests. We see the fulfillment in Jesus and we're going to get to that next week. But that's for every single one of us. God's calling us a royal priesthood because he wants to affirm in you and me this covenant relationship and give us kingdom responsibility. Let's stand as we close in prayer today. Uh, maybe you're, you're here today and you're just exploring what faith is and you're wondering, wow, how do I even start to comprehend some of this or start to explore bits and pieces of this and I'd encourage you to just track with us over the next few weeks as we next week move into the story of Jesus and track these themes into his life and I, I believe they're going to draw you into understanding more and more what it who Jesus is and um, how much through Christ God is inviting you into relationship with him and if that's you this morning, I just invite you to keep exploring and keep being open to God. Maybe you're here and, and, and as God is working in your own heart, you're, you're longing for that reaffirmation of, of covenant relationship. Or maybe God has been prodding in your heart and saying, I, I have a purpose for you. And maybe you're afraid to, Embrace that responsibility. Maybe you're afraid to step up and serve or step up and make an impact in the way that God is slowly leading you to and God's designed you to make an impact. We're made for both, relationship and responsibility. And so I encourage you to just to keep open to God and allow him to work in your heart and to take those little risky steps towards what he's leading to you, what he's leading you to, what he's leading you to try and explore, where he's leading you to serve and keep fueling the relationship along the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing example in Moses where these two themes of scripture, covenant relationship and kingdom responsibility, come hand in hand. God, we thank you that on an ordinary day off the side of Mount Horeb, after years and years of ordinary days, over 10,000 days that were ordinary for Moses over 40 years. You interrupted his day. You affirmed, maybe in a moment where he was lacking belief that you were still committed to him, that, you're, that the, the covenant relationship that you initiated with Abraham and you offered to humanity was, he was still, was still there for him. God, I thank you that even in that moment, um, with all the, the fear and maybe even sense of failure in Moses' heart, God, that he recognized your call and slowly, even tripping up on the way, slowly made his way towards saying yes fully. And he saw you at work in such an amazing way. God, I don't know how you want to use each and every one of us this week. I'm not sure how you will use us all in the fullness of your kingdom, God. But, God, I pray that we would pursue you as Father, worship you as King. God, that we would hear your voice affirming our identity in you. That we would understand the authority you give us as a gift, not entitled. God, and then may we live out the life that you're calling us to in obedience to you with the power that you have in store. So, Lord, we want to see you at work. Even this week in our jobs, at home, in our neighborhoods, we long to see you at work. God, may we not skip the steps of identity and authority. May we move through them and then Just be so expectant of what you're going to do in and through us and around us. God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.